Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back, children of the night. A few things to say first before starting week two. One reason last week's show was as brief as it was, I was getting a chest cold. I got one. I still have it, so this isn't really me. This is sick Larry. That snuffly, heady, chesty thing meant I didn't say some of the things I wanted to about Martin Munt's work. And my apologies to you, Marty. One reason... Maybe the only reason writers give us their work for free here is that it gets their name out there. It gives them a chance to pimp their wares. And last week, I failed to pimp Marty's latest wear, his novel, Reanimated Americans, from Creeping Hemlock Press. It's 298 pages of Marty. It's available on Kindle and Nook and wherever discriminating electrons congregate. It's also available in ink on paper in the usual spots. Uh, Amazon and so forth, and some bookstores. This is a quick cut of a review from Publishers Weekly. It's 2019, and the zombie apocalypse has turned out to be rather anticlimactic. Sure, the dead now make a habit of rising from their graves and shambling around the streets, but instead of hungering for human flesh, they simply hang around, make nuisances of themselves. And thanks to the ACLU, they also have rights. Chicago Census Bureau trainee Jeff Hearns is one of the many government employees tasked with keeping records on animated Americans, a task he diligently attempts to do despite interference from his own co-workers, corrupt cops, a serial re-killer, a former priest seeking a glimpse of heaven, and an insane gangster. Uh, months plain prose, they say, heightens scenes of gruesome horror and gallows humor. 
though not for all tastes, this starkly comedic satire is enjoyable in its depiction of a world where the walking dead are more likable and lively than many of the living. And that's from the December Publishers Weekly. Okay, getting into this week's show. We add something new this week. Horror, anarchy, doom. The American presidential primaries? Nope, nope, nope. This is Andy Remick's monthly skim of popular culture as it applies to all things, well, dark, horrific, and fantastical. I'd intro Andy, but hell, you already know him. If you don't, well, he tells you all you need to know in his comments. Uh, here he is with the first of what we hope will be monthly installments of horror, anarchy, and doom. Andy? Hello and welcome to Horror, Anarchy and Doom. My name is Andy Remick and I'm the author of 13 novels published by Orbit Books, Angry Robot Books and Solaris Books and of course my own little digital publishing company, Anarchy Books. Today I'm going to be looking at Stephen King's The Shining which I read, or reread recently upon hearing about the possibility of a follow-up to the 1977 novel. Uh, King dropped the bombshell after a reading of To Fans in Toronto, but he soon seemed to try and wriggle back, backwards out of the announcement. But whatever King's intentions, it certainly made me think of The Shining again uh, and decide to put in a reread. I'm also going to be looking at some of the horror we publish at Anarchy Books and also my new magazine project, which is called The Ultimate Adventure Magazine. Now, although it has got a distinct focus on outdoor pursuits, such as biking and hiking, climbing, travel and adventure. Uh, it does also cross creepy tendrils over into the realms of science fiction, fantasy and horror. But more about that in a little while. So then, first up we have King's The Shining, which was published in 1977. So obviously it's not a new publication. Now as I mentioned, King announced, presumably to a thrilled audience, that he was considering a follow-up. Initially, I wondered how the hell he'd managed that, um, which is a sentiment clear to anybody who's finished this cracking novel. Believe me, once you start it, you won't be able to put it down, despite a few problems, which I'll go into in a minute. King says that The Shining 2 will apparently be titled Doctor Sleep, which for some reason reminds me of the Sisters of Mercy uh, and their wonderful song, Doctor Jeep. Well, that's just because I'm a sad old goth from a time when goths were goths and not these emo creatures we keep seeing creeping around reading Twilight novels. Anyway, The Shining 2 will follow the tale of Danny, the child in the first novel, blessed or cursed maybe, by the gift of The Shining. So I, I very much enjoyed The Shining when I first read it, oh, way back when I was about 14 or 15 years old, and I was going through um, a certain Stephen King phase at the time, which is no bad thing, I might add. And I also included reading gems like Pet Cemetery and Salem's Lot. Anyway, upon hearing about the sequel, I thought it would be an interesting exercise to revisit the book and see what I thought about it. I think times have changed, and readers and writers have certainly changed as well. Um, and now I've found that The Shining, especially in its early chapters, I found it to be quite a slow read. I know King has said in his book On Writing, which is incidentally, if you were a writer... 
Um, it's very much recommended and gives a lot of good and positive advice. Well, King does say he prefers to write very slow build-ups to his novels, slow and suspenseful introductions, relays down good solid foundations for the horror to come. And I respect that, and it's interesting to see how King works, and it's good that every author has his own or her own style. For me, though, I found The Shining perhaps to be a little too slow, and there was too much build-up and character introductions, although I recognise this could be down to me as a reader now, uh, being much more impatient, um, much more adrenaline and action-focused, and not necessarily a massive criticism of the work and of Stephen King himself. My problem, I suppose, as a reader is I become I become bored very easily, which is why I ride fast motorbikes and write adrenaline-filled action-adventure sci-fi horror thriller novels. Maybe not all at once, though. Anyway, I thought that The Shining was a wonderful story, and there were moments when the hackles were actually rising up on the backs of my arms and neck, because King is a great um, writer, and he's great at developing suspense and bringing about genuine terror in his readers with the unfolding horrors uh, intrinsic to the Overlook Hotel. It's also fascinating to reread this novel because I'm a big fan of the Kubrick film. Now, I may be shot for saying this, but in many ways I prefer the Kubrick film to the King novel for all sorts of different reasons, um, for small reasons as well. And although I recognise Kubrick left out a few items from the novel, he also introduced a new level of horror which is missing from the novel. For example, I find um, Jack Torrance bearing an axe a lot more terrifying than a roquet mallet. Anyway, having read Kubrick's biography, which obviously touched on the making of The Shining, I'm absolutely thrilled to be interviewing an old writer friend of mine for my magazine. So actually, let's go backwards a little bit, or maybe forwards, depending on your perspective, because in my Ultimate Adventure magazine, I'll be interviewing Ian Watson, who is a veteran of the science fiction world, and a brilliant writer who actually worked with Stanley Kubrick on the development of the script for AI, Artificial Intelligence, finally filmed by Spielberg after Kubrick's death. And I'll be talking in the magazine to Ian about all manner of things Kubrick-related. And that interview will appear in issue two of my Ultimate Adventure magazine due out the 1st of March 2012. It's going to be extremely interesting, I think, for readers to look at this interview with Ian about how he worked with Kubrick um, and endured Kubrick's idiosyncrasies. And I know when I've talked to Ian in the past, I've uh, just been in awe about the stories he told regarding his time arguing with the great director himself. So I was very much jealous, in fact, of, um, of Watson's time with Kubrick. Anyway, uh, it's extremely interesting to see how Kubrick developed uh, and extended King's ideas in his movie of The Shining, and he brought out some interesting elements and up the suspense and horror, if that's indeed possible. So very much interested in reading King's follow-up to The Shining, but in the meantime, I'll just have to make do reading his new time travel reworking or alteration of the Kennedy assassination, uh, his novel 11-22-63, which is on my bookshelf now. So then, on to Anarchy Books, the first horror-type novel... I'd like to talk about is our recently published anthology. Uh, not really wanting to sound like a fish salesman on a market. It's just 89 pence or 89 of your earth cents. So um, the anthology is a collection of weird 
and bizarre tales of twisted imagination. It's very much written in the tradition of Poe, Kafka, Borges, and H.G. Wells, and it's a collection of weird stories written with the primary drive of presenting twisted deviations of normality. So um, lots of elements of horror and thriller and suspense in there. And I've got some absolutely brilliant authors on board with this project, such as Neil Asher, uh, Eric Brown, Tony Ballantyne, Richard Fordy, and Graham Lee Harris, um, Vincent Holland Keane, James Lovegrove, Gary McMahon, Stan Nichols, just loads and loads of wonderful people who, who were willing to become involved. We've got a story from uh, Wayne Simmons, Guy Smith, Adrian Tchaikovsky, uh, Jeffrey Thomas, Ian Watson, Ian Waits, and of course the, um, the late and sorely missed Colin Harvey, to whom this anthology is dedicated. Anyway, the, the anthology is, it focuses on kind of weird tales, disturbing concepts. It has some deviated black humour in there. For example, Ian Graham's story, Rotten Cupid. Um, and I suppose my own story as well, which is called Snot, about an, uh, a freak who <laughs> disgorges acid snot from his face. Anyway... Um, if you'd like to try Vivi Sepulture, it can be purchased from the Anarchy Books website. Next, um, the next Anarchy Books release I'd like to talk about is Rain Dogs by Gary McMahon, who is a wonderful and dedicated horror writer um, who we're absolutely thrilled to publish. The story revolves around a man um, called Guy Renford, who's he's just been let out of prison and his life's in ruins. He's become estranged from his wife and daughter. And he returns to Stonegrave in Yorkshire to try and put the pieces of his life back together again. But there's a presence that's watching him from behind an endless rainstorm. And it's something that wants revenge and it has not come alone. Um, it's a very chilling revenge story. There's lots of social realism and weird monsters in there. <clears throat> and it's very much in the... Um, very similar to novels like The Dark by James Herbert and The Mist by Stephen King. So, I think as well, Gary McMahon writes in a very similar style to Stephen King. So, if you're a fan of King, I very much recommend Rain Dogs. Okay then, you might be wondering um, what my magazine, Ultimate Adventure Magazine, is doing being featured in a column entitled Horror, Anarchy and Doom. Well, hey... I want to tell you something now. Uh, we do have crossover links with science fiction, fancy, and horror because that's the kind of uh, world I work in and I write in and I publish in. And I think the best things in the magazine, which are focused on the horror, are things like the interview with best-selling horror author, um, author of The Crabs and books like Sabbat, uh, Mr. Guy N. Smith, who talks about the smoking ban, big game hunting, and the fact that his Crabs novel is being made into a Hollywood movie. Most people of a certain age, I think, will have heard of Guy in the Halls of Horror, and he's wonderfully honest in his interview and was genuinely a joy to talk with. There's also an interview with Claudio Bonplanta, and you probably know him because he's um, a filmmaker and a cameraman who recorded Long Way Round and Long Way Down with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, which was the motorcycle adventure where they biked across the world. And in the magazine, he's talking about filming in war zones, tracking down Osama bin Laden, 
and his most recent film, which tackles the savage hunting of albinos in Africa. Uh, we've also got Vincent Chong, who's a fabulous science fiction, fantasy and horror artist, and his incredible artwork has adorned many a book cover that I've been a fan of. So, the magazine is free to download, comes in at 190 pages, and you can get it from www.uamag.co.uk. Anarchy Books can also be found at www.anarchybooks.com. In the next issue of the podcast, I'll be looking at Stephen King's 112263, um, which has had lots of cracking reviews, and many people, um, many of my friends anyway who've read it, have said it's the best thing that he's written in years, so I'm very much looking forward to reading that. And we'll also be looking at other horrific elements from the magazine and from Anarchy Books. To conclude then, this is Horror, Anarchy and Doom, a little podcast by author Andy Remick, and I hope you'll tune in next month for a little listen. Thank you. And thank you, Andy. Uh, One thing, Andy just caused me to stop by Amazon and pick up Gary McMahon's Rain Dogs, which I have now started and which I cannot put down. Confound you, Andy. Confound you, Gary. I've got writing to do. This week's principal story is Joe R. Lansdale's God of the Razor. What do you say about Joe R.? Well, mm, (laughs) you can look him up on Wikipedia or in his website. That's simple to do. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. He's done everything. What I say about him is that he's the guy who got me into this stuff in the first place. Uh, Back a couple dozen years ago during one of those dark times in my fiscal life, I, a relatively innocent young science fiction reader, sometimes writer, mostly disappointed theater director, found myself working at a science fiction fantasy horror bookstore here in Chicago, Alice Bentley's wondrous little world, The Stars, Our Destination. Alas, no longer with us. Alice, have fun out there in Seattle off the coast on the little island where you live. Uh, Anyway, back to uh, the stars or destination. When I first started there, one of my co-workers, one Trent Haga by name, now a writer, actor, director in L.A., uh, a guy who climbed the cinematic ladder via Lloyd Kaufman's New York-based Troma Studios, turned me on to Joe in that way you have of introducing yourself to a co-worker uh, at a bookstore, at a restaurant, or wherever you're working in a job that you know isn't really you and you know isn't really anybody else who works there. Uh, I asked him, well, what do you do? I write. Uh, what do you write? I said, oh, stuff like Joe R. Joe R. Joe Lansdale, here. And he shoved a book at me, uh, book I am now holding in my hand uh, from way back then. I looked and there it was. I was captured. Uh, Not by the cover. The cover is really pretty awful in the original. Uh, Bestseller's Guarantee is the book and it's got a dragon crawling around a pile of books. It's not really anything to do with what Joe does. Anyway, I started it. God of the Razor was one of the pieces that captured me. It's one of the early works in the book. A couple of weeks ago, I got a hold of Joe and asked if uh, 
if I could do that story here. He said, sure, go for it. Well, here it is. God of the Razor by Joe R. Lansdale Richards arrived at the house about eight. Moon was full, and it was a very bright night in spite of the occasional cloud cover, bright enough that he could get a good look at the place. It was just as the owner had described it, run down, old, and very ugly. The style was sort of gothic, uh, sort of plantation, sort of cracker box, like maybe the architect had been unable to decide on a game plan or had been drunkenly in love with impossible angles. Digging the key loaned him from his pocket, he hoped this would turn out worth the trip. More than once his search for antiques had turned into a wild goose chase, and this time... It was really a long shot. The owner, a sick old man named Klein, hadn't been inside the house in twenty years. A lot of things could happen to antiques in that time, even if the place was locked and boarded up. Theft, insects, rats, leaks. Any one of those or a combination of could turn the finest of furniture into rubble and sawdust in no time. But it was worth the gamble. On occasion, his luck had been phenomenal. As a thick, dark cloud rolled across the moon, Richards, guided by his flashlight, mounted the rickety porch, squeaked the screen, and groaned the door open. Inside, he flashed the light around. Dust and darkness seemed to crawl in there until the cloud passed and the lunar light fell through the boarded windows in a speckled and slatted design akin to camouflaged netting. In places, Richards could see that the wallpaper had fallen from the wall in big sheets that dangled halfway down to the floor like the drooping branches of weeping willows. To his left was a wide, spiraling staircase, and following its ascent with his light, he could see there were places where the railing hung brokenly askew. Directly across from this was a door, a narrow, recessed one. As there was nothing in the present room to command his attention, he decided to begin his investigation there. It was as good a place as any. Using his flashlight to bat his way through a skin of cobwebs, he went over to the door and opened it. Cold air embraced him, brought with it a, a sour smell like a freezer full of ruined meat. It was almost enough to turn Richard's stomach, and for a moment he started to close the door and forget it. But an image of wall-to-wall -wall antiques clustered in the shadows came to mind, and he, he pushed forward, determined. If we were going to go to all the trouble to get the key and drive way out here in search of old furniture to buy, then he ought to make sure he had a good look anyway, smell or no smell. Using his flash and helped by the moonlight, he could tell that he had discovered a basement. The steps leading down into it looked aged and precarious, and the floor appeared oddly glass-like in the beam of his light. So... 
He could examine every nook and cranny of the basement. Richards decided to descend the stairs. He put one foot carefully on the first step and slowly settled his weight on it. Nothing collapsed. He went down three more steps cautiously, and though they moaned and squeaked, they held. When Richards reached the sixth step, for some reason he could not define, he felt oddly uncomfortable, had a chill. It was as if someone with ice-cold water in their kidneys had taken a piss down the back of his coat collar. Now he could see that the floor was not glassy at all. In fact, the floor was not visible. The reason it had looked glassy from above was because it was flooded with water. From the overall size of the basement, Richards determined that the water was most likely six or seven feet deep, maybe more. There was movement at the edge of Richard's flashlight beam, and he followed it. A huge rat was swimming away from him, pushing something before it. An old, partially deflated volleyball, perhaps. He could not tell for sure. Nor could he decide if the rat was trying to mount the object or bite it. And he didn't care. Two things that gave him the willies were rats and water. And here were both. And to make it worse, the rats were the biggest he'd ever seen, and the water was the dirtiest imaginable. It looked to have a lot of oil and sludge mixed in with it, as well as being stagnant. It grew darker, and Richards realized the moon had been hazed by a cloud again. He let that be a signal. There was nothing more to see here, so he turned and started up. Stop. The very large shape of a man filled the doorway. Richards jerked the light up, saw that the shadow had been playing tricks on him. The man was not as large as he'd first thought, and he wasn't wearing a hat. He'd been certain before that he was, but he could see now that he was mistaken. The fellow was bareheaded, and his features, though youthful, were undistinguished. Any character he might have had seemed to retreat into the flesh of his face or find sanctuary within the dark folds of his shaggy hair. As he lowered... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Toward the light, Richards thought he saw the wink of braces on the young man's teeth. Basements aren't worth a damn in this part of the country, the young man said. Must have been some Yankees come down here and built this, someone who didn't know about the water table and the weather and all. Uh, I, I didn't know anyone else was here, Richard said. Klein send you? Don't know a Klein. Well, he owns the place. Uh, loan me a key. The young man was silent for a moment. Did you know the moon is behind a cloud? cloud across the moon can change the entire face of the night, change it the way some people change their clothes, their moods, their expressions. Richards shifted uncomfortably. You know, the young man said, I couldn't shave this morning. Uh, <laughs> beg pardon? When I tried to put a blade in my razor, I saw that it had an eye on it and that it was blinking at me very fast, like like this. <laughs> oh, you can't see from down there, can you? Well, it was very fast. I dropped it and it slid along the sink, dove off on the floor, crawled up the side of the bathtub, and it got in the soap dish. It closed its eye then, but it started mewing like a kitten, wanting milk. <laughs> Yeah, it was more the way it sounded, really. But it reminded me of a kitten. I knew what it wanted, of course, what it always wants, what all, all the sharp things want. Knowing what it wanted made me sick, and I threw up in the toilet, vomited up a razor blade. It was so fat, it, it might have been pregnant. Its eye was blinking at me as I flushed it. And when it was gone, the blade in the soap dish had started to sing high and silly-like. Uh, the blade I vomited. I know how it got inside me. The young man raised his fingers to his throat. There was a little red mark right here this morning, and it was starting to scab over. One or two of them always find a way in. Sometimes it's nails that get in me. They, they used to come in through the soles of my feet while I slept, but I decided that I'd be pretty good to wear my shoes to bed. In spite of the cool of the basement, Richards had started to sweat. He considered the possibility of rushing the guy or just trying to push past him, but dismissed it. The stairs might be too weak for sudden movement, and maybe the fruitcake might just have his say and go on his way. It really doesn't matter how hard I try to trick them, the young man continued. They always win out in the end. Always. I, I think I'll come up now, Richard said, trying very hard to sound casual. 
The young man flexed his legs, and the stairs shook and squealed in protest. Richards nearly toppled backwards into the water. Hey! Richards yelled. Bad shape, the young man said. Needs a lot of work here. Rebuilt entirely would be the ticket. Richards regained both his balance and his composure. He couldn't decide if he was angry or scared, but he wasn't about to move. Going up, he had rotten stairs and Mr. Looney Tunes, and behind him he had the rats in the water, the proverbial rock in a hard place. Now, maybe it's gonna cloud up and rain, the young man said. What do you think? Will it rain tonight? I don't know, Richards managed. A lot of dark clouds floating about. Maybe they're rain clouds. Did I tell you about the god of the razor? I really meant to. He rules the sharp things. He's the god of those who live by the blade. He was my friend Donnie's god. Did you know he was Jack the Ripper's god? The young man dipped his hand into his coat pocket, pulled it out quickly, and whipped his arm across his body twice, very fast. Richards caught a glimpse of something long and metal in his hand. Even the cloud-veiled moonlight managed to give it a dull silver spark. Richards put the light on him again. The young man was holding the object in front of him as if he wished to be examined. It was an impossibly large, straight razor. I got this from Donnie, the young man said. He he got it in an old shop somewhere, Gladewater, I think. It comes from a barber kit, and the kit originally came from England, says so in the case. You should see the handle on this baby. It's ivory, with a lot of little designs and symbols carved into it. Donnie looked the symbols up there. They're geometric patterns used for calling up a demon. <laughs> You know what else? Jack the Ripper was no surgeon. He was a barber. I know, because Donnie got the razor and started having these visions where Jack the Ripper and the god of the razor come to talk to him. They explained what the razor was for. Donnie said the reason they could talk to him was because he tried to shave with the razor and it cut himself. The blood on the blade and those symbols on the handle, they opened the gate, opened it so the god of the razor could come and live inside Donnie's head. The ripper told him the metal in the blade goes all the way back to a sacrificial altar the the druids used. The young man stopped talking, dropped the blade to his side. He looked over his shoulder That cloud there, that cloud is very dark, slow moving. I sort of bet on rain. He turned back to Richards. Did I ask you if you thought it would rain tonight? Richards found he couldn't say a word. It was as if his tongue had turned a cork in his mouth. The young man didn't seem to notice or care. After Donnie had the visions, he just talked and talked about this house. We used to play here when we was kids, had the boards on the back window rigged so that they'd slide up like a trapdoor. They're still that way. 
Donnie used to say this house had angles that sharpened the dull edges of your mind. I know what he meant now. It is comfortable, don't you think? Richards, who was anything but comfortable, said nothing, just stood very still, sweating, fearing, listening, aiming the light. Donnie said the angles were honed best during the full moon. I didn't know what he was talking about then. I didn't understand about the sacrifices. Maybe you know about them. They've been all over the papers and on TV. The decapitator, they called him. It was Donnie doing it, and from the way he started acting, talking about the God of the Razor, Jack the Ripper, <sighs> this old house and its angles, I got suspicious. He got so he wouldn't even come around near or during a full moon, and when the moon started waning, he, he was different. He was peaceful. I followed him a few times, but didn't have any luck. He drove to the Safeway, left his car there, and walked. He was as quick and sneaky as a cat. He'd lose me right off, but then I got to figure in him talking about this old house and <laughs> and all that. And then, and then one one full moon, I came here and waited for him, and he showed up. And you know what he was doing? He was bringing the heads here, tossing them down there into the water like those South American Indians used to toss bodies and stuff in the sacrificial pools. It's the angles in the house, you see. Richards had that sensation like ice-cold piss down his collar again, and suddenly he knew what that swimming rat had been pursuing and what it was trying to do. Yeah, he threw all seven down there, I figure, the young man said. I saw him toss one. He pointed with the razor. He was standing about where you are now when he did it. When he turned and saw me, he, he ran up after me, <laughs> froze, couldn't move a muscle. Every step he took closer, he got to me. The stranger he looked, he slashed me with the razor across the chest, real deep. I fell down, and he stood over me. The razor cocked. The young man cocked the razor to show Richards. I think I screamed, but he didn't cut me again. <laughs> It was like the rest of him was warring with the razor in his hand. He stood up and walking stiff as one of those wind-up toy soldiers. He went back down the stairs, stood about where you are now, looked up at me and drew the razor straight across his throat so hard and deep he damn near cut his head off. He fell back into the water there, sunk like an anvil. Razor landed on the last step. Now, it wasn't any use. I tried to get him out of there, but he was gone. He'd never been. I, I, I couldn't see a ripple, but the razor was lying there, and I, I could hear it. Hear it sucking up Donnie's blood like a kid sucking up the sweet out of a sucker. Pretty soon there wasn't a drop of blood on it. I picked it up. So shiny, so damned shiny. I came upstairs, passed out on the floor from the loss of blood. First, 
I thought I was dreaming, maybe delirious, because I was lying at the end of this dark alley between these trash cans with my back against the wall. There were legs sticking out of the trash cans like tossed mannequins, only they, they weren't mannequins. There were razor blades and nails sticking out of the soles of the feet, and blood was running down the ankles and legs, swirling so that they looked like giant peppermint sticks. Then, then I heard a noise like someone trying to dribble a medicine ball across a hardwood floor. It was a plop, plop, plop. <laughs> and then I, and then I saw the god of the razor. First, there's nothing in front of me but, but stewing shadows, and the next instant he's there. He's tall and black. Well, not Negro, but black like obsidian rock. It had eyes like smashed windshield glass and teeth like polished stick pins. Was wearing a top hat with a shiny black band made out of chrome razor blades. His coat and pants looked like they were made out of human flesh and sticking out of the pockets of his coat were gnawed fingers like after-dinner treats, and he had this big old turnip pocket watch dangling out of his pants pocket on a strand of gut. The watch swung between his legs as he walked, and the plopping sound... Know what that was? His shoes. He had these tiny little feet, tiny, tiny feet and they were fitted right into the mouths of these human heads. One of the heads was a woman, and it dragged long black hair behind it when the god walked. Kept telling myself to wake up, but I couldn't. The god pulled this chair out of nowhere. It was made out of leg bones, and the seat looked like scraps of flesh and hunks of hair, and he sat down, crossed his legs, and dangled one of those ragged-headed shoes in my face, and next thing he does is whip this ventriloquist dummy out of the air, and it looked like Donnie, and it was dressed like Donnie had been the last time I seen him down there on the stair. The god put the dummy on his knee, and Donnie opened his eyes, and he spoke. Hey, buddy boy, he said, how goes it? What do you think of the razor's bite? You see, pal, if you don't die from it, it's like a vampire's bite. You get my drift? You gotta keep passing it on. The sharp things will tell you when, and if you don't want to do it, they'll bother you until you do, or you slice yourself bad enough to come over here on the dark side with me and with Jack and the others. Well, gotta go back now. Join the gang, but be talking with you real soon. Moving into your head. Then, then he just sort of went limp on the god's knee, and the god took off his hat, and he had this zipper running along the middle of his bald head. A goddamn zipper! <laughs> he pulled it open. Smoke and fire and noise like screaming and car wrecks happening coming out of there. He picked up the Donny dummy, which was real small now, and he tossed him into the hole in his head the way you'd toss a treat into a Great Dane's mouth. Then he zipped up again and put on his hat. Never said a word, but, but he leaned forward and he held his turnip watch so I could see it. The watch hands were skeleton fingers and there was a face in there pressing its nose and little smudge 
circles against the glass, and though I couldn't hear it, the face had its mouth open and it was screaming, and and that face was mine. Then the guard and the alley and the legs and the trash cans, they were gone, and so was the cut on my chest, healed completely, not even a mark. I left out of that, and I did not tell a soul. And Donnie, just like he said, he, he come to live in my head, and the razor started singing to me. Now, it's probably a song sort of like those sirens sang for that Ulysses fellow, and it can come near on the full moon, the blades act up, mew, and they, they get inside me, and then I know what I need to do. I did it tonight. Maybe if it had rained, I, I wouldn't have had to do it, but it was clear enough for me to be busy. The young man stopped talking, turned, stepped inside the house, out of sight. Richards sighed, but his relief was short-lived. The young man returned and came down a couple of steps in one hand. By the long blonde hair, he was holding a teenage girl's head. The other clutched the razor and the cloud veil, fell away from the moon, and it became quite bright. And the young man, with a flick of his wrist, tossed the head at Richard, striking him in the chest, causing him to drop the light. The head bounced between Richard's legs and into the water with a fat splash. Listen, Richard started, but anything he might have said, age died and turned to dust in his mouth. Fully outlined in the moonlight, the young man started down the steps, holding the razor before him like a battle flag. Richards blinked, and for a moment it looked as if the guy were wearing a—he was wearing a hat, a tall black one with a shiny metal band. And he was much larger now, and between his lips was a shimmer of wet, silver teeth, like thirty-two polished stick pins. Plop, plop came the sound of his feet on the steps, and in the lower and deeper shadows of the stairs it looked as if the young man had not only grown in size and found a hat, but had darkened his face and stomped his feet into pumpkins, but one of the pumpkins streamed long, dark hair. Plop, plop. Richard screamed, and the sound of it rebounded against the basement walls like a super ball. Shattered starlight eyes beneath the hat, a Cheshire smile of Argentine needles in a carbon face, a big, dark hand holding the razor, whipping it back and forth like a lion's talon, snatching at a warm, soft prey. Swish, swish, swish. Richard's scream was dying in his throat, if not in the echoing basement, when the razor flashed for him. He avoided it by stepping briskly backwards. His foot went underwater, but found a step there. Momentarily, the rotting wood gave way, twisted his ankle, sent him plunging into the cold, foul wetness. Just before his eyes, like portholes in a sinking ship, were covered by the liquid darkness, he saw the god of the razor, now manifest in all his horrid form, lift a splitting head shoe and step into the water after him. 
Richards torqued his body, swam long, hard strokes, coasted bottom. His hand touched something cold and clammy down there, and a piece of it came away in his fingers. Flipping it from him with a fan of his hand, he fought his way to the surface and broke water as the blonde girl's head bobbed in front of him, two rat passengers aboard, gnawing viciously at the eye sockets. Suddenly, the girl's head rose, perched on the crown of the tall hat of the god of the razor. Then it tumbled off, rats and all, into the greasy water. Now there was the jet face of the god of the razor, and his mouth was open, and the teeth blinked briefly before the lips drew tight, and the other hand, like an eggplant sprouting fingers, clutched Richard's coat collar and plucked him forward, and Richard's... The charnel breath of the god in his face, the sight of the lips slashing wide to once again reveal brilliant dental grillwork went limp as a pelt, and the god raised the razor to strike, and the moon tumbled behind a thick, dark cloud. White face, shaggy hair, no hat, a fading glint of silver teeth, the young man holding the razor, clutching Richard's coat collar. The juice back in his heart. Richards knocked the man's hand free, and the guy went under, came up thrashing, went under again, and when he rose, this time the razor was frantically flaying in the air. Can't swim, he bellowed. Can't. Under he went, and this time he did not come up. But Richards felt something touch his foot from below. He kicked out savagely, dog paddling wildly all the while, and then the touch was gone, and the slushing water went immediately calm. Richard swam toward the broken stairway, tried to ignore the blonde head that lurched by, now manned by a four-rat crew. He got hold of the loose, dangling stair rail and began to pull himself up. The old board screeched on its loosening nail, but held until Richards gained a hand on the door ledge. Then it gave way with a groan and went to join the rest of the rotting lumber, the heads, the bodies, the faded stigmata of the god of the razor. Pulling himself up, Richards crawled into the room on his hands and knees, rolled over on his back, and something flashed between his legs. It was the razor. It was stuck to the bottom of his shoe. That had been the touch he had felt from below. The young guy still trying to cut him, or perhaps accidentally striking him during the desperate thrashings to regain the surface. And sitting up, Richards took hold of the ivory handle and freed the blade. He got to his feet. He stumbled toward the door. His ankle and foot hurt like hell, where the step had given way beneath him, hurt him so badly he could hardly walk. And then, and then he felt the sticky, warm wetness oozing out of his foot to join the cold water in his shoe. And he knew that he had been cut by the razor, but then he wasn't thinking anymore. He wasn't hurting anymore. The moon rolled out 
from behind a cloud like a colorless eye, and he just stood there looking at his shadow on the lawn, the shadow of an impossibly large man wearing a top hat and balls on his feet holding a monstrous razor in his hand. Well, there it is. Irony. Inevitability. And that always present whiff of the strange. Science fiction, fantasy, horror, thrillers, crime, westerns, Joe just does it all. And he does it all so seamlessly well, so smooth that it purrs like an Eldorado on a Texas road heading into a thunderstorm. Dinosaurs at the drive-in. Elvis and JFK battling an Egyptian mummy in an old folks' home. All that's Joe. All that and more. And that's it. That's show two. I hope you've enjoyed yourselves, children of the night. Next week, well, I know what it is. You'll just have to come back to find out. Good night. Pleasant dreams. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.